Hey, thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We are MVF Church based out of Heber City, Utah. If you'd like to check out the live recording of this teaching, you can find that at mvfchurch.com. We're glad that you've joined us today, so let's get into the teaching. If you've got your Bibles, we are in Luke chapter 10 today. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. And we're going to be looking at what is probably the most well-known parable of Jesus. And that is the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan we're going to be looking at today. But I've titled this sermon, the An Impossible Task. And we're going to talk about why in just a few minutes. But turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. If you're taking notes, you can do that on your um, journals if you brought those. Or I do think we maybe printed some uh, note sheets if you need one. Um, You can jump up and grab one. Let's pray, though, and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this beautiful day, this beautiful weather, uh, this beautiful place, and the, the ability we have to worship you openly in a public area. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for um, this this country we live in. God, we, we thank you for the beauty that is, surrounds us, that reminds us of you every day. And God, I thank you for those sitting next to us, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, I ask that we would have a desire to walk in our relationship with you alongside others so that we can see together what it looks like, not just through our eyes, but through the eyes of others to, to follow you, to, to struggle in, in sin, to hand over sin to you and to live a life surrendered to you. God, we pray that you would open our eyes to what you would have for us this morning through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the Good Samaritan is probably, for many people, the ideal that we look to as an example of how we can love our, our neighbors as ourselves. In fact, I would suggest that even many people who, who don't claim the name of Christ, would, they, they still love the story. They, they still consider it something that we should aspire to, right? I mean, we, the, the term Good Samaritan is a term that all throughout America, people know as uh, something that we say about someone who does something for others, right? So this is a a very popular story. It's it's something that people aspire to. And and I think the Samaritan is a great story of seeing the need in another and, and using your resources to meet the need without prejudice and, and regardless to the circumstances. And in many ways, this is what the Christian life is meant to be about. However, while it is a great example, and it is something we should seek to follow, I think we need to be very careful not to put it as a standard by which we hold our salvation against. See, we need to remember why Jesus was giving this story. Jesus was giving this story as an answer to a man who was seeking to justify his religious behavior as a way to show that he could somehow earn his salvation by how he lived, that he could be good enough in the eyes of God. So as we look at this story, I want us to look at, yes, the example. 
what can we learn about how we should love one another? But second, I want us to look at and be reminded that we need to be careful not to get the wrong idea about why Jesus told this story. So Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, says this, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, before we go on, that lawyer, another word, some of your versions might say scribe. He was one who knew the law of God very, very well. And his job was to, uh, one, to continuously make copies of the law of God, but also to know it by basically by rote. So, so when it says lawyer, he's not talking about someone who necessarily argues in a court of law, but someone who knows God's law. <laughs> and he says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So the lawyer's asking, look at what he's asking. He's saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life. So Jesus replies first, what he must do. And he tells him, what, what does the law say you must do? And the, the lawyer answers well, he answers correctly. But I think it's interesting that the, the lawyer uses the word inherit. Because you can't necessarily do something to get an inheritance. You, you don't earn an inheritance so much as you gain it simply by who you are, by, by being an heir. No amount of doing can necessarily make you an, inheritance, uh, an heir to an inheritance. So keeping the law is a way of life, but keeping the law is not the way to life. See, eternal life is only available to us as heirs of God's kingdom. It's on, it is only for us when we become a son or a daughter of the king through accepting the work of Jesus on the cross. That's how we inherit eternal life. But when it comes to eternal life in the scriptures, one thing that we see over and over and over again, one thing that I would say the whole of scripture speaks to in one voice is that no human being can be justified in the sight of God by their works. It is theologically true that yes, this man who lives by his righteousness, based on the law, it is true that he, if he can completely live by it, he would have eternal life. But the trouble with that is no one has ever succeeded in doing so. And if the lawyer thinks that eternal life can be obtained by doing what the law says, in a minute, Jesus is going to show him just how impossible that is. But look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, do this and you will live. But there's a problem with that. Nobody can do it. Nobody can do what the law says and not fail at some point. And Paul says, the moment we fail at one point, if we're looking to the law, the moment we fail at one point, we're lost. 
But the lawyer wants to know by doing what? Now, of course, in his mind, he's seeking to keep the law perfectly always as a way to inherit that eternal life. But Jesus is going to show him that it is simply impossible. When we try to be good enough, we are completely missing the point of the gospel. We're completely missing the point of Jesus' work on the cross. Verse 29 says this, but he, talking about the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I love that question. And who is my neighbor? First of all, notice the arrogance of this. What was the first part of the the answer? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He doesn't bother being nervous about that one. I don't know about you. If I know that that's that's the call and that's how I inherit it, I'm right there. I'm like, okay, close the book. I'm done. I, I, I can't do it. I'm, I've, I've tried to do it. I seek to do it. But somehow I keep loving this minuscule nothing of a person called myself. And I keep putting me above God. So how arrogant to think, well, okay, that one I got down. Let's just talk about this other thing. But you have to understand the Jewish mind. See, the Jewish mind, loving the Lord your God, came down to, did you tithe? Well, this this guy probably tithed down to the letter. In fact, Jesus uh, got, got on some of the leaders by saying, look, you're literally tithing down to your spices, making sure you're getting 10% of your spices correct, but you're missing the point of the other. So this guy probably tithed. He probably practiced his fasting with with strict rules. He probably held to the festivals exactly as they were meant to be held. He rigidly observed all of the different things that God called him to do. He had his formulas of prayer. And so, yes, in the Jewish mind, in regards to the things that he could see himself doing to show his love for God, he, he many ways probably thought, I got that one done okay. But this whole thing about who is my neighbor, that's where he's getting hung up. And it makes sense. Because this is something that Jewish leaders discussed and debated all the time. Who is my neighbor? Who does God call me to love as my neighbor? And they would argue everything from their political party to the religious party, which were very much intertwined, to their their sect, to their tribe, because remember the 12 tribes of Israel, to making it more about their community. So they would have all these arguments about, well, this is who God means when we mean our neighbor. But there were two groups of people that were almost never mentioned, and that was Gentiles. That means most of us, anyone who's not anyone who's not a Jew by birth, and then two Samaritans, half-breed sellouts, is how they basically looked at them. So, who is my neighbor? That's the loophole he's looking for. This is where he thinks he might be able to get Jesus. 
And honestly, he's probably legitimately curious about what Jesus thinks. I mean, he's probably argued this point with other scholars. And so he's interesting. Who is Jesus going to include? But nothing probably could have prepared him for the answer Jesus gives. So let's go ahead and look. Now, before we look, I'm going to make you pause. I want you, each and every one of you, to get in your mind. Don't give me the Christian answer of, I don't hate anyone. Give me, I want you in your mind to picture the person you hate the most. You disdain. Maybe you don't. Maybe you truly have reached a level where you've never hated someone. But that person that, let's just say if you have a choice, you're never in the same city as them. Or maybe it is a type of person. You know, we live much more in a melting pot world now. But maybe it's a type of person. Maybe it's a person with an extreme opposite political view as you. Maybe it's someone with the extreme opposite moral standard as you. Maybe it's something that you know is just a prejudice that you've carried generations in your family and you wish you could get over, but you still have it. Whatever that is, I want you to picture that person, that type of person, as we read this story. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him. And departed, leaving him half dead. And when it says he fell among robbers, he's, it, he's saying that the, the word means that he was surrounded by them. And this is a common experience, especially on that, this road to Jericho. The road to Jericho was named by the Romans, the Red and Bloody Path. Because it had so many uh, things like this happen on it. In fact, eventually the Romans placed a, a uh, uh, kind of a watch out fort on that 21 mile path to be able to try to get rid of this kind of thing. But it was, it was a very rocky path from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it was the only way to get there in a single day. So a lot of people who really depended on income for every day, they would take this road rather than go the long way around. And unfortunately become to robbers. So this was a very common thing that Jesus says happened. Now, my chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he too passed by on the other side. Now, this stepping to the other side is a very vivid picture of a problem within Jewish ceremonial cleanliness laws. Now, it could be these were just two arrogant, non-compassionate people. That's, that's a very possible salute, uh, answer to this. However, there's also the answer that if they were to touch him, they would be ceremonially unclean. And they had cleanliness laws that they had to hold to to be able to conduct their duties within the temple. And so he's showing, and most commentators would say he's showing this contrast of, look, we have these ceremonial laws, and it puts these, these 
religious leaders in a situation where they have to continually make decisions about do I do I do the more take care of the moral principle and duty or do I hold to my ceremonial cleanliness? It's also interesting that nowhere else in the Gospels does Jesus take up attitude with the priest or the Levites. This is the only place he kind of digs into the priest and the Levites. I believe that's because they were still the stewards of his father's house. And as the stewards of his father's house, he held them at some level with regard based on their position, regardless of them as people and their behavior. This is the only place where we see him, him kind of make, make them into the, the negative picture. And I think the other reason was because they were still held with regard. The reason he uses them versus a Pharisee or a Sadducee or something like that is they were a people that all the groups looked to still and had a high regard for. So he kind of, that's the reason I think he's using them here in this specific point point. But he shows the moral dilemma that they would have been under to remain continually holy and pure in a world that requires messiness in order to show love. And it's also interesting that in just a few short months after he tells the story, the whole role of the priest and the Levites is going to be completely done away with in the kingdom of God. There is no more need for the temple or their roles as priests. Because the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus became our high priest, shedding the blood on the cross, and that he now goes before the Father on our behalf. But I just think it's interesting that he chooses those two in this situation, and they have to walk around. And you, there's many reasons for why they walk around. But he goes on, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, putting oil and wine on them. Then he set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn to take care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. You see the stark contrast that he paints between the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan. He's painting a stark contrast of, of people bound to religious duty, trying to hold to saying, what does the law say I must do? Well, I've got, I don't need to worry so much about this because this law is so much more important. He's, he's, he's showing the contrast of people that are seeking to live that way to someone who is simply seeking to love. The Samaritan stays with the wounded man regardless of his danger he's in, trouble that it causes him or the expense that it causes him. He does his best to help the helpless. He shows no regard for himself. And his love is shown from what we can tell for no purpose of gain, but rather out of a heart of sacrifice. There's no reason we have to believe that this, this man that he's helping had anything to offer him. Generally, it was not wealthy people that took this path that he would have been found on. It was generally people that needed every day's labor 
to be able to depend on, or it was peddlers that going from one town to another selling their goods. His purpose was simply to care for a need. And then Jesus says in verse 36, as he always does so well by answering a question with another question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. See, the answer was so obvious to the scribe, right? I mean, there's really no way to get around this answer, is there? He, 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 as, much, he as much as he hates to say it, he, he, can't, he cannot possibly say anyone else besides the Samaritan. And yet, notice this, he can't utter the word, the Samaritan. He can't. And so he goes, yeah, the, the person that did the right thing, that, that who, that's who. You have that kind of regard for anyone in life that even their name or even the type of person they are, it would be hard for you to just say that they're right. If so, we probably need to keep coming back to this parable a lot in our life. The one who showed mercy And Jesus replies, go and do likewise. See, he takes all the debate out of the question with this parable. There's no more debate who my neighbor is. My neighbor is anyone who has a need. That's my neighbor. Anyone who who needs help, anyone who I have a power or opportunity to be able to help, no matter what their person's rank or race or religion is, that's my neighbor. Any human being who needs an aid. That's the, that's the example of the Good Samaritan. Anyone who the need is before us and we have the power to help, we're called to help. We're called to show love through that. And that's why it's such a powerful, beautiful story. Because I think there's so many of us, we operate daily, if we're being honest, thinking about our needs or thinking about the needs of others who also affect us versus people who have no effect on us and yet we just seek to show love to them. I know I can get caught up in that. I can get caught up in the people I have relationship with. And if I, if they have a need, I'm, I'm going to help. But guess what? Oftentimes when I help, that means it's oftentimes going to come back on me as well, huh? So whether I like it or not, oftentimes there's a selfishness to that versus just seeing a need and just doing what you can to take care of it. But I want to make sure we don't leave it there. Because remember, the question of this parable was not, 
who is my neighbor? The question was, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's the key question that got this story told. That's the key question of humanity all throughout history. How do we receive eternal life? The words that Jesus used, go and do likewise, are not, hey, remember um, uh, random acts of kindness, that movement, or uh, pay it forward. Anyone remember these, these things? And there's, there's still things that happen, right? You know, that's cool when someone pays my, I don't ever go to Starbucks, but you get the hit, you know, bill at the window. Uh, but, you know, whatever, like, that's cool. If someone wants to do that for me, that's awesome. I've done that a couple times, those little pay it forward things. That's not what Jesus is saying. The words that he's using there are go and live your life every single day, never messing up on this point. If we, it, the, the literal translation is he's saying go and do it always, forever. His point was not to show us how to sometimes do these little acts of love, although that's great, although it's definitely living like Christ when we do that. His point was to show us you can't do it. His point is to show us if you're seeking to earn eternal life by, by living by the law, you fail. You will never, ever live up to it. If you're looking to the story of the Good Samaritan to find the answer to eternal life, I can promise you, Jesus did not tell this story to explain the way. He shared it to tell a person who was remembering, what was the guy trying to do? He was seeking to justify his way of doing things. And Jesus is telling his story so that he will see that the standard is more than he will ever live up to. And I guarantee you, many in that audience did not walk away inspired. Oh, that was, that was such a touching story. I just, I love that story. They weren't thinking that. They were walking away going, it's impossible. It's impossible. I can't do it. Why am I even trying? Why do I keep seeking to follow this law? I'm never going to make it. And that was the whole point. He wanted to put that doubt in them about this desire to constantly seek to follow the law. See, this is just one of the many places in the Gospels where Jesus is preparing people for the fact that they need a savior. That they're in need of someone to go to the father on their behalf. And I want to make sure that we all understand this. That the story of Luke and any of the other gospels is not to show us the way to live. Yes, Jesus is obviously, we should seek to live like Jesus in every way we can. But that's not the point of, the, of these gospels. The point is to show us our deep need for salvation through Christ. That he paid the work. The purpose of the story is to show us not how to live, but who to give our life to. Only through the work of Jesus can we have eternal life.
We can never measure up to the standard of loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We can never measure up to the full picture of the good Samaritan. Salvation is not found in following any law, any church, any rigid set of beliefs, or any moral code. Salvation is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Next week, we're going to look at the story of Mary and Martha. And it's such a beautiful contrast after this story of this this seeking desire to, to, to somehow earn salvation. It's the story of two sisters. One who, who has a good heart, has a wonderful heart, but, but almost can't stop serving. And another who understands that, man, when you have an opportunity to just spend time with Jesus, that's the most important thing. That's what it's all about. My hope and prayer is that every one of you that are hearing this today know that all the good work we can do is wonderful. All the things we can do to bless others is wonderful. All the ways you can show love to people who need extra love is wonderful. But there's nothing more important than knowing Jesus and just abiding in him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you have a way of salvation because we will never, ever meet the standard. None of us can be holy. We are all broken in our sin. And there is nothing it deserves our attention other than you. And that God, we, we seek to live like the good Samaritan, not so that we can somehow earn some sort of medal or certificate of honor or some place in a special, uh, any kind of special place in your eyes. But we, we seek to follow this example because we love you. Because you've loved us so deeply that it's simply our small, messy, trivial almost response to such a great love. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you enjoyed this teaching, we would love to have you join us for a live gathering. We are located at 271 North, 600 West in Heber City, Utah. If you need more information about us, including our gathering times or previous teachings, you can find all that at mvfchurch.com. And make sure you follow us on social media too. See you next time.